0: let us pray father what a great reminder of who you are you are holy 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 our triune god and it begs the question from each one of us what are we doing standing in a holy god's presence because we're sinful and we're not holy But God, we thank you for the eternal love that you have placed on sinners like us. And we thank you for how clearly you demonstrated that love, that you sent your Holy Son to come and wholly be man so that we could be a part of your holy family. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that that applies the love of the Father and the work of the Son to our lives, that we now have the rights to stand here And not just as servants or slaves. But we gather in this place. In your holy presence. In Christ Jesus. As your sons. As your daughters. And we rejoice. Come and remind us afresh. Of your holiness. But show us your grace. And your love and your mercy. And who we are. In your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. It's true, there's no place like home. I mean, if I could give you a big group hug, it would be right here. It is so good to be with you. It's great singing that first song, All Creatures of Our God and King. I don't know about you, but when I start singing that, uh, I usually close my eyes and I start picturing creation. Creation. And all that God has created and done, uh, yesterday, all of my bird feeders were completely uh, empty. So one of the joys is filling them all up and uh, having dinner yesterday. And Katie's like, "Uh uh-oh, there's a rat. Is that a squirrel or a rat in your bird feeder? What's worse? It's bad having a a squirrel, isn't it? Having a rat in the bird feeder. And it was a great rat because every time I got up and opened the door, it would scurry down the pole. Uh, you know, I'd sit down for about three minutes and go back up and he'd eat, eat, eat too. So as I'm singing, all creatures of our God and King sing God's praises. I'm like, all I can picture is that rat. How does that rat sing God's praises? I don't know. But somehow I know God has made him." Hey, no, no place like home. That is for sure. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to start this morning in the book of Revelation. It's the last Book of the Bible, um, a mysterious book, a book about end times. Uh, but what we're going to look at specifically in the next several weeks is we're going to be looking at the letters that emerge from this book. The Apostle John wrote this. He wrote this when he was banished to an island called Patmos. And as he was there, the resurrected Jesus came to him um, and, and gave him this vision, this vision of what will be. But also he gave them some direction to write specific letters to seven churches. Now, the number seven in Revelation is very interesting. Seven is like totality. So when the number seven is there, he's really saying he's writing to all churches. He's writing to you and me. And so specifically, there are going to be some things that he's dealing with with each one of the churches but more than that, he, because inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's dealing with us. And this morning, we're going to look at that, that first uh, letter to the church in Ephesus. The amazing thing about this for me over a sabbatical is all seven churches in Asia Minor, all seven churches are right there in modern Turkey. And having the privilege of, of being there, and, and Lord willing, uh, through some pictures and through the preaching of the word, maybe God can take all of us there a little bit so we can get a picture of uh, what ephesus is like and was like if you're a parent of a teenager who plays sports this is the time of year where you get your yearly physical isn't it uh in our day and age they will not let you compete in athletics until you have that physical and it's not last year's physical is not good enough every year you have to have a physical so in the jake's household it's around this time of year every year we're scrambling and we gotta get to the doctor and you know what makes it worse let's be honest Insurance, right? Has it been a year until you've gotten there? Because with a year, you get a little grace, and they'll see them before a year. Even if it's a day before, they, they might say, no, no, you can't go. Well, our youngest daughter, Allie, uh, she is up in North Carolina uh, at the same camp uh, as a counselor that our oldest daughter and son-in-law work at, Ridgehaven, our PCA denomination's uh, uh, conference center. And she's going to be there right up until volleyball season. So she had to go and get a physical up in North Carolina. And we know up in the mountains of North Carolina, there's only two doctors. Uh, that's a joke. No. But anyway, uh, so she went and got a physical and the doctor called us. And the doctor said, I want to talk to you about your daughter's physical. Hey, more on that later. Not, not enough about her. Let's talk about you. When was the last time you had a good physical? I'm serious. When was the last time you had, I'm not talking about going to CVS and putting your arm in a cuff and seeing what your blood pressure is. I'm not talking about one of, I'm talking about one of those physicals that, you know, like, whoa, that was thorough, you know, kind of blushing, thinking, man, when was the last time you did it? People say, guys, my size, my age, that's an important thing. It is. But what if you went to a, had a physical, you had one of those real thorough ones and you, you sat down. With the doctor, when the results came in, he, he comes in. He says, hey, I got good news for you. Your nervous system is fantastic. I mean, everything with, with brain, spinal cord, and everything, it's, it's really, really good stuff. It's, it's, it's good. And you know, your respiratory system, man, it, it, looks, it looks spot on. Really, really good. Your respiratory, your, your lungs, your, your breathing, it's awesome. And your skeletal system, strong and healthy. You must have had a lot of milk in your lifetime. A lot of calcium. Boy, is it fine and dandy. And your digestive system, he says maybe all systems go. All right. I thought that was funny. And I guess I've lost it in five weeks. The digestive system, all systems go. Anyway, all right. And your blood work, really, really good, spot on. But what if he said after all these things, check, check, check. He said, but I'm going to talk to you about your heart. You got a heart problem. You got a problem with your ticker, you got a problem with your heart, you got a problem with your circulatory system. If you have a problem with your heart, that will not not trump all that's good. You almost want to say doesn't matter how many checks you have in the good box. If my heart is not good, we got issues. Well, when the doctor called us, she said, "Hey, do you know that Allie has a heart murmur?" And we said, she says I could hear it. And we said, "You know, thank you so much." Yes. And the last time they said they detected a heart murmur. And because the heart will trump all other things that are good, we schedule a battery of tests. And she went through a whole battery of tests, this young girl, to make sure that this murmur isn't more of an issue than what it really sounds like. Well, today we're going to look at the the church in Ephesus. And we're going to look at what is written about them. And you know, the amazing thing, it's kind of like a doctor's visit. Because a lot of the things that they do, they do really well. And, and when, and when uh, God's Holy Spirit, through the pen of John, is, is writing to them and writing to us, he's going to commend them, saying, you know what? Bottom line for you is, is you guys really do the right thing. I mean, matter of fact, you not only do the right thing, but you do the right thing well. You toil after the right thing. Not only that, you don't even grow weary doing it. He says, I commend you because you do the right thing. But he says more. He says, not only do you do the right thing, but you're against the right things or you're against the wrong things. However, the English should be there. The bottom line is this. The things that, that I don't like, you don't like. And, and you really aren't liking and embracing the things that you shouldn't. It's a good job. But he says, I got one thing against you. And it would be like being in the doctor's office and having him sit down and say, let's go through the systems of your body and say all that are good. But the one thing that's not good is your heart because of that, it's really bad. Ephesus had a heart problem. The question we have is do we? If you'll turn with me in God's holy and errant word, let's look to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at the first seven verses of this letter uh, to the churches. Again, there's a, there's a lot of imagery here. Uh, I'm going to. Take liberty as we read and just trying to bring clarity to a few things. And uh, because of that, let me pray before I even start. Father God, we gather around your word and it is our authority. We believe in the originals uh, that God, it is without error and will never lead us astray. And God, we thank you for your word, your living word. It's active and may it be active in our church and our lives today. And Father, would you give us ears to hear the voice of the one who, who walks among the lampstands we're going to find, the one who, who, who owns the church, who, who's brought life to the church. His name is Jesus. And we thank you that he too is walking among us in spirit today. So would you give us ears to hear those sandaled feet? And would you give us minds to understand a, a, a book, a, a letter that's quite difficult because of its genre. And God, would you give us hearts? Oh, how we need the heart to embrace your love and your truth. And may we walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that are said that are merely my opinion or wrong, may those things be forgotten and fall away. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to shape our hearts? Maybe break our hearts, but make us live for you. May you and you alone receive honor and glory, and may we receive joy and challenge. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. God's Word, Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the word angel here also could be messenger. It's not real clear. Is there an angel over the church, a guardian angel? Probably not. But to the messenger, the whole point is, make sure that this message gets to this church in Ephesus. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Who do you think that one is? It's Jesus, the one who's creator and sustainer of all things. Are the stars the literal stars, all the stars? Well, yes, they are. Are they the stars and the leaders of the church? Well, yes, they are. And the seven golden lampstands, those are the church. That's the church that doesn't have the source of light itself. It just reflects the source of light. But here's what he says to them and to us. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Unless you repent, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nickelodeons. Which, you know, I'm thinking, is that what we got in Nickelodeon? No, no. The Nickelodeons. And probably what this is, is actually it's a heresy in the early church. If you look in the book of Acts, uh, he was one of the original deacons that was set aside. And apparently there's a heresy. It had a, a lot of sexual perversion in this heresy. Where they felt by God's grace, they could still be Christians and act in a very heathen manner? But anyway, he says, you hate the works of them, which I also hate. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Again, let us pray. Father, may the words of my heart and the meditation of my heart May may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ephesus was an important city. It was an important city in in Paul's time. Uh, It's no longer, it's really ruins right now. Interestingly, it was a port city, but if you go to Ephesus right now, it's no longer a port city. Uh, The silt and the earth has kind of filled in, and the Aegean Sea is not as close as it used to be. And so when we read through Scripture, and we read how Paul and the elders would pray on the shores of Ephesus. It's kind of a long way from from where it was. But in Ephesus, it's kind of like the who's who of the early church. It's kind of like it's got an amazing history of who had roots there and, and who lived there. Uh, Paul had journeyed through there. Some would say Paul planted the church there. When I read the book of Acts, there were already disciples there before Paul arrived. Uh, but more than that, uh, John, uh, John, uh, the uh, uh the apostle John, the one that scripture will tell us that, that Jesus loved, that that John that would lean his, his head against Jesus' chest, that John lived there. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's, there's a cathedral in his name, and, and supposedly he's buried there. And, and even more than that, they say, tradition says, that he wrote the Gospel of John there. But he definitely was there. And they even say that Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, was buried there, and, G- and Mary spent the last of her life there. Because if you remember in the Gospel of John, as Jesus was dying, Jesus commissioned John to take care of his mom. It, it makes sense. But there's more than that. We see in the book of Timothy that, that Timothy spent time there, that Paul put Timothy there. matter of fact, Paul was there for three years. We find names like Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos all having time in uh, uh, Ephesus. And so this was really a who's who. Let me give you a little picture of, of what this would look like. I mean, Ephesus is a, it's a really, of all the places you see, it's very, very touristy. When you arrive, the first thing you're hit with is like buses. And lots of them. Because it has a lot of the ruins still intact and a lot to see in Ephesus. And, and you will run into all kinds of people as you walk down the streets. It's pretty amazing. This is the ruins of a library, uh, that still stands and you can start to see the architectural beauty and the, the how magnificent this city might have been. And, and here is a theater, a stadium. And the great thing about this stadium, it's so cool to be down on the bottom and, and then have someone sit way up top and hear the acoustics. That you could open up scripture and you could read in Acts the very riot that took place in that theater because of the gospel of Jesus Christ was so transforming lives that the silversmiths who were, who were making idols to Diana, uh, Artemis, were losing money. And they stirred up a riot. Happened right there. I got to tell you, it's pretty cool. Reading scripture and the place it took place. The Bible goes from black and white to color. and You realize this is more than just stories. But did you hear the text, what it's talked about in this awesome city? The this, this city had so many of the who's who of, of Christian giants. They did a lot of good things. They were for, they were against what they needed to be against. And yet they had a big problem. It was their heart. So here's the point with Christianity. i got three things you want to follow along in the bulletin. The first one is this. It's very, very important for us to know that that as Christians, for those of us by God's grace who have faith in Jesus as our Messiah, what we do is not most important. What is most important is not what we do. As a matter of fact, it could even be dangerous for us to do the right things with the wrong attitude. This is basically saying that if, if Christianity is about religion and doing stuff and doing stuff without love or without the right attitude, it isn't good. It's not even, it's not neutral. It's not even not that it's not as good as it could be. I want you to hear this clearly. Doing the right thing with the wrong heart is wrong and dangerous and sinful. So it begs the question, why isn't it good? I mean, come on, God. I mean, maybe back off of these guys. He said that they toiled for you. They had endurance. They didn't grow weary. Why isn't it good? Well, a good, thorough reading, empowered by the Holy Spirit of, of Christianity, is realizing that this is a relationship with God based solely on grace. This is not a works based religion. This is not something that we do to find favor with God. This is not something we do to appease God. Christianity is not something we do uh, something is really something we by God's grace intersects our hearts. It's something that we are our being it's it's relational, it's love, it's affection. It begins there. You see. The, the dangerous poison about doing the right thing with the wrong heart or the, the wrong attitude is we start to believe that we can earn God's love. We start to believe that, that God owes us. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had something like like out of the blue go wrong and you want to start backpedaling and you want to start bartering with God, saying, no, wait a minute. I put my tithing check in last week. I, I helped that lady across the street. You know, I paid my taxes and I didn't fudge on them. And I did all these things. Don't you owe me? I mean, the interesting, because when we start to do without love, we think that we have something to leverage or barter with with God. And that is really a scary place to be. Somehow we feel like we're entitled to God's blessings. Somehow we feel like he, he owes us. I'm going to tell you the bottom line to me. It's religion over relationships. And he finds it repugnant. I think think there's there's even more at the heart of this. You see, when we do the right thing without the right heart, and the right heart specifically is love for God in response to him, we think that we can be righteous on our own. We think that maybe we have a standing on our own. that, That somehow that we can come into God's presence without the covering of the blood of Christ and the righteousness of Christ. Let me let me make sure that I I make crystal clear what God's Word teaches us. The only way we have access to God is by His grace. The only way we have access to God is by the work of His Son. The only way we have access to God is by the shed blood of the precious Lamb of God. The only way we can stand in God's presence is robed with His Son's righteousness. The only way. I mean, everything that we bring on our own, Scripture tells us, right ready for this? It's filthy rags. And so, so really, when the work in Ephesus was, was working without the right heart, God says, you're in danger. You are in danger. Because you think you could do it without me. You know, we got to look at this. It's, it's so clear. How did Jesus hang out with the, uh, the Pharisees? How did he get along with them? The Pharisees, if you're unfamiliar with them, there's a, Christian, there's a Jewish sect and the uh, leaders in the uh, community in Jesus' day. They were the ones who knew the law, the best. they're the ones with the longest prayers. They're the ones that, when it came to giving, tithing, they, they, they went down to making sure that they tied their mint and their dill, basically saying they were opening up their, their uh, uh, closet, their little pantry that has all those what do you call the things you put in your, your, your food? What do you call those things? dill? Seasonings? Say spices. spices. Thank you. I'm a, I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. <laughs> well, I do spend a lot of time in the kitchen, but just not in that spot. But anyway, I mean, the Pharisees were so religious, they wanted to make sure they followed the letter of the law so precisely that they would be down to their mint and their dill. And Jesus would say to them, huh, you, you don't get it. You, you're You're whitewashed tombs he said you're a brood of vipers you're a mess because somehow you think in your religion you're right and you're so wrong he said really it's about you You worship me with your lips but your heart it's so far from me he said you should love me and I love this you still do those things but man you should do it out of love for me Doing the right things with the wrong motives. Is anybody here married? Can anybody relate to saying, I did the right thing with the wrong motives? Does that work? How about bringing in flowers to your spouse? Her, <laughs> honey, it's my duty. Bring you these things, here you go. I mean, I think the marriage covenant has taught me more about the fact that my wife longs for my heart way more than she longs for my actions. And if it was just about my actions without my heart, I'm just a roommate, I'm not a spouse. And you see that relationship with God, he doesn't want a roommate. He's our husband and he longs for a spouse. So we could see that what they were doing is not most important. Secondly, what we're against is not most important. The church of Ephesus had not only worked hard for the right things, but they were against the right things. We have to realize, we can't miss this, that, that God, we sang about it, God is holy. I mean, he's separate. I mean, he's without sin and he has called us. It says in scripture that before time began, he predestined us to be holy. Holy is what we are going to be. It's what we are in Christ Jesus. And he called us to be radically different than the world. He called us to be to be sinless, and one day we will be. He called us to be light in the darkness. He called us to be salt in in a world that is dying. And because of that, he says, I want you to be radically different. You cannot just be like them. Because if we are just like the world, we have no story to tell. We have no impact, and the gospel means nothing. So he says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be different. But being against those things without love is dangerous. If we're a church and we just feel like we can't do this and we got to be against them and we don't love them, guess what happens? We start start feeling superior. I think I hear Pastor Outing's sermon a few weeks ago. If you were here, it was very much this thought of we as a church. I, I love what it says. He says, I am against the works of the Nicolaitans. I'm against their works. I'm against what they do. I'm not against them. Did you see that? I'm against their acts. I'm against their works. I'm just not against them. My God of love. I had an incredible breakfast on Friday. Uh, typical schedule. I, I swim with some friends. There's only one other guy that he and I swam together. And then there was one guy who joined us for breakfast, just the three of us. And, and you know, uh, he, I'm like, man, dude, you got this figured out. You, you, you skip the swimming part, you come right to breakfast. You're my hero. He said, well, I, I, had to go to the, I had to go to the airport and drop my wife off at the airport. And she's flying to, and I don't know exactly, but someplace like Cancun. And you're like, bro, you just took your wife to the airport. She's going to Cancun and you're not going? And you're coming to having breakfast with us? What's the matter with you? He says, well, you know what? I couldn't go. Well, well why couldn't you go to Cancun? He says I couldn't go because she's going to a wedding and the wedding is with two guys and then one of the guys is a minister and I just couldn't go and celebrate that interesting my buddy who is with me who I love man I love him so much he thinks he loves Jesus and he loves the teachings of Jesus but he can't can't quite get over miracles and resurrection and stuff. And he just jumps right in the conversation. And he says, what—that's what, that's what's crazy about you Christians. You're just against everything. I mean, I'm i not against homosexuals. I mean, I'm not one, but why are you guys so against it? Oh, man, kidding? I thought we'd have a bagel and just a little breakfast here, you know? So I said, you know, it's not, it's not that God is against them, and it's not that God hates them, but, you know, I believe that there is a God, and I believe that this God created marriage. And it says this in the very, very beginning that God made male and he made female and he made them both in his own image. And this is his institution. And for marriage to be as God intended it to be, it, according to God, there is a male and there is a female and the two become one. And somehow in that relationship, God is glorified and we are placed in a place where God can bless. It's not that God is against them. It's that God is for this. And we have to love. If we love what God loves and we disdain what God disdains, we, we don't disdain them as people but that institution. Why? Because it robs God glory. And why? is because God can never bless a marriage apart from what he has designed. Does that make sense? I said if you're drinking poison right now, the greatest thing I could tell you is stop it. It's not loving for me to say, you should drink something that's bad for you. And I got to believe that God is a God of love. And this is his intention. Man, we got to love him and love him well. And boy, we've done a poor job. But you see, it's not so much what we're against. It's what we're for. I believe that Jesus is Lord and he has the right to tell me how marriage should be. And we in love, we in love, we in love go to those who may be different and say, I just got to believe that God's word reveals his best and the most loving thing I can do, man, I'll put my arm around me. I'll love you. But to say, what we got to do, we got to do it with love. Thirdly, how we love is most important, even how and, and who my brothers and sisters, Christianity begins with love. For the Father so loved the world. Christianity continues in love because God so loves us. And Christianity finds his consummation in love. It all starts with him. It flows out of his love. We're here because he loves. We're redeemed because he loves. We're going home because he loves. Everything he does, God always acts out of his love. Never for one second does God act apart from love. And that's what he's calling us into, this loving relationship with him, so that when we act, we respond, we take a stand. It's out of love, his love for us. How are we to love? Man, we're to to love him with our, our, God is our Lord with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our beings. We're, we're to love each other. That, that love of God pours into us and, and we pour back into him and say, God, by your grace, I'm yours and there's nothing that compares to you and let me love my neighbor as myself now through the way you love me. You know, love should be the reason we do everything we do. I love 2 Corinthians 5.14. It's the love of Christ that compels us. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. What we do is a response to who he is and how he is loved. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. If you ever been to a wedding, you've heard probably 1 Corinthians 13. It's that love is patient, love is kind, you know, love doesn't envy, and all those wonderful, great things. Maybe you had it at your wedding. But I love how it starts. Paul says this. He says, listen, if you give everything you have away and you even let your body be burned as a martyr, if your life is all about doing, even doing Christian things, here's what Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you do it all without love, I want to tell you something, you are nothing but a gonging symbol. It is empty, it is void, it is useless. Church, a, a Christianity without love Core of love that begins, ends, and continues with love. What we do out of love. What we are against out of love. Love has to consume us because love consumes our God. It's who he is. So what did he tell us to do? He said, great things. Just a moment on each one of these. First thing is remember. He says, listen, you've lost your first love. I mean, you've lost it. So here's what I want you to do. Remember. Because we're so easily forget. I mean, God's love just somehow oozes out of us and his word oozes out of us. We forget, we're prone to forget. So remember, remember your first love. Remember where you started and let me help you this morning, remember. Remember that it was Jesus becoming flesh to, to rescue you. Remember it was the love of the Father that was so deep for you that he would send his only beloved son. Remember that Jesus on a cross became your sin, not hypothetically, He became your sin. That Jesus on the cross absorbed the wrath of holy God for you. Remember the death. Remember that He was resurrected. Remember that He's conquered all of God's and our enemies. Remember that He has ascended. Remember that He sits on the hand, the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Remember that He lives to intercede for us. Remember that He's coming back for us. Remember that He's King of kings. Remember that He's Lord of Lords. Remember the eternal love that God has for us. Remember. Because every day in your life you're going to wake up and you have the propensity to forget. Remember it's all about him it's not about you. Remember it's all about his righteousness, none of yours. Remember. That's what Jesus says to his disciples at, the, at, at, at that last meal. He says, I want you to remember. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Never forget it. Never forget to sacrifice the sacrifice of love. That's why we do our daily devotions. That's why we spend time with God's word. Remember. Secondly, repent. Constantly turn back. Turn back from your own righteousness. Turn back from doing those things for your own glory or out of your own heart. Repent. Listen, I love this. He's saying this. I want you to repent for doing the right things for the wrong reasons. That's what he's asking to repent from. Repent for doing the right things for the wrong reasons. It reminds me of my, my most famous prayer. I've shared this before, but I gotta share it again. I'll never forget being in my study and I'm praying and I'm I mean I mean I'm praying this hard as i can pray i'm praying in the lord's name empowered by the spirit and i'm letting it out and i'm, I'm going full throttle i'm praying and here's my prayer i said god i've been praying for a long time that you'd make me holy I've been in praying this prayer. I've been praying it for a long time. I've been a Christian since I've been four. I've been in the ministry for 22 years. I'm praying for holiness. I'm praying you make me more holy. I'm praying it in Jesus' name. I'm not praying for money. I'm not praying for a bigger church. I'm not praying for anything for holiness. And God, that is a great prayer. And how in the world aren't you answering this prayer? All I'm praying for is holiness. And the God in his spirit, as I finally shut up, whispered into my soul and says, I'm not answering that prayer because you're not praying it for me, you're praying it for you. And the reason you're praying that prayer is because you want to stop feeling bad about you. And every time you mess up and you feel bad about you, you think if you're more holy, you'll like yourself more. And I couldn't love you more right now than I ever have. I'm not answering the prayer because it's a selfish prayer. It's about you. Oh my gosh, it was so spot on. It was so true. It was so right. And rarely do I have moments in my life that I'm that blown away with the insight. I'm like, man, it's so true. So you know what I did? I started repenting. Just like this text said, I started repenting. I started repenting for my prayer of holiness. And I started saying, God, will you please forgive me for asking for holiness? And I'm sitting there started looking around my study thinking, man, Moses is gonna show up or Elijah or some of the apostles because this is the greatest prayer ever uttered. I mean, there's never been a greater prayer that you uttered a prayer saying, God, forgive me. I repent of my prayer for holiness. You know how quick I was prideful? Do you know how, I mean, I was overwhelmed. All of a sudden I was so prideful that I'm so righteous. And all of a sudden I just I just couldn't even, I was like, oh. Do you really love me, Father? I'm a son who will pray for holiness for myself. I'm a son who will ask for for repentance and get prideful. You love me? When he says repent, he's saying repent of your own righteousness, that which you think you could barter with God with. Repent of your own arrogance. We have nothing to bring to God but our sin. Everything we have has been a gift. Oxygen in your lungs. Gift, love, family. Gift, health. Gift. What in you? What do you and I deserve? What do we get? Repent. He says, "Do, do." Listen, doing is important for Christians. We are saved by God's grace through faith. But it goes on to say in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus. What? To do good works that he's asked us. He's prepared for us in advance to walk in them. Christianity is about doing. But it's only about doing when we understand it's responding to loving. Doing. Doing what we did at first. First love. Compelled by love. When you get to uh, Ephesus, we got there and we, we parked, and I'm not kidding you, there had to be like, there had to be 20 buses. When you roll into a site and you see 20 buses, what do you first think? Oh, crud. And the first thing outside of Ephesus, before you get to the ruins and the sites, is all the Jesus junk that's on sale, and all the stuff that, you know, they want to sell you beforehand that you don't really need, and somehow, because you're there, you feel compelled to buy, and... Uh, But I gotta tell you, the first thing, I think Katie saw it first, but the first sign when we got off, we parked, we got there, this is the sign that we saw welcoming us to Ephesus. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who doesn't want a genuine fake watch? Can I ask you this? What does that mean? What is a genuine fake watch? (laughs) it's a watch that looks like the real thing and on the outside it looks like a real thing but on the inside it's a hoax it's fake it's cheap it's not real I think it's amazing in God's providence that that is the first thing I saw going into Ephesus in light of this sermon. Genuine fake religion. Genuine fake relationship. One that is about the outside works of what you're for and what you're against and what you do, but on the inside is missing love. It's a genuine fake Christianity. How is it with you? By the grace of God, can you say I have the real deal? The blood of Christ has set me free, filled with the Holy Spirit, stumbling all the way home, but man, in love with the Savior. Don't put on for a nanosecond a genuine, fake relationship with Jesus. It just doesn't work. May it Continually, our lives tick in time with our Savior. Let us pray. Father, when we remember the depth of the love you have for us, how can we ever have a genuine fake relationship with you? You demand so much more from us. And Father, I ask that As we collect our tithes and offerings, your Holy Spirit would come and and God, do the work that only you could do, that we'd examine our lives. And God, I thank you that even as we give, it's not what we do that's most important, not even what we put in the basket, but how we love. You say you want a cheerful giver. Why? Because it's about love. So Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would come that we would do the works you've called us to do. And we would be against the things that you're against. But only because of love. Your love for us and our love for you and the world you've created. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.